friends, brothers, sisters, neighbors, whoever you are, whatever you are. Thank you for coming and checking out episode number one of the Crypto Breakdown Podcast. Today, we're talking with Chainlink God, who is an encyclopedia of all things Chainlink. You can find him on Twitter at Chainlink God. I do recommend following him if you don't already, if you hold Chainlink, because he uh, is a great resource. He breaks things down that uh, might not be easy to understand, and he is uh, active all the time. I hope you like the discussion. This is episode number one, as I said, and uh, I hope you consider subscribing to the newsletter, whether that be free or premium. Every subscriber is mucho appreciado. We will not be talking all crypto all the time on this podcast. We're going to be talking about other things that you guys might find interesting, whether that be other investments like precious metals, real estate, stocks, um, anything in that realm, and things outside that realm. You know, I do have other interests in life, and uh, I'm going to expand my horizons on here and talk about them a little bit. That being said, the newsletter will remain all crypto all the time. Because that's where we're at, and that's where I think the money is to be made. So again, thank you for hanging out with us today. I hope you consider subscribing, and enjoy the conversation. CLG, my brother, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm a, I'm happy you came on here. You know, I uh, I've been following you for a while. You know, me and you got into this a, a far time back. Um, you've obviously grown to pretty much be the face of the Link Marines on Twitter. How is that? Are you uh, happy to be the uh, kind of like the the main guy almost? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a large responsibility, and it's not something like when I created my account. It's not what I expected, but that's kind of what it evolved to over time. And I'm I'm happy to kind of head up this like unofficial role of being like this the kind of spokesperson for the community. It's a it's kind of an honor to be honest. So I'm, I'm more than glad. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I was actually thinking about this today in preparation to talking with you. Like, you have probably done more to um, spread the word about Chainlink to, you know, normies and the average investor than even Chainlink has. You know, they're, they're kind of like heads down and hard work, and they don't really focus too much on um, marketing. Obviously, that, that has changed, but, you know, you have done – probably more than anyone to talk about Chainlink. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's a very different domain. Like the team's very professional and they have like their ways of like uh, rolling out the announcements uh, for integrations and all that. And then kind of what I do is more like guerrilla marketing, I guess, more like just uh, more like direct to the community of just kind of distilling down what happens into a way that people can actually like understand in, a, in plain English. That's kind of, it's kind of like my niche, but yeah, that's a, uh, it's kind of surreal to think about like how many people like there's been I got plenty of messages of like oh man you're the reason I got into Chainlink and like that's that's a good feeling because I, I do put a lot of work into it but it's a uh, I'm more than honored yeah it's awesome man I actually have had the same experience I'm sure a lot less than you have but I have had people email me and send me direct messages like dude you were showing me Chainlink when it was like 40 cents and uh you know it improved my life so it's like hey man you know uh that's awesome, and that makes me feel good. So um, do you remember how you got into Chainlink? Because I know how I got into it. I was uh, – this was back in like mid-2017. It actually hasn't even ICO'd. And then uh, I was actually researching Ripple, and somebody commented on Reddit and said, 
dude, Ripple's great, but Chainlink is going to make them irrelevant. Now, I don't know, you know, that has yet to come to fruition, but that's the very first time I ever heard of Chainlink. Do you remember uh, your first time and how you got into it? Yeah, it's kind of funny. It was like more like early 2018, and I was kind of, I was on Reddit a little bit, but I did not get much out of it. I felt like there wasn't much alpha there. So I kind of switched over to browsing biz a little bit on the business and finance board on 4chan. And it's kind of funny, like the first thread I read was like a deep breakdown of Chainlink from like an enterprise perspective of how enterprises can effectively use Chainlink to replace their entire backend system and their whole risk assurance and everything. And so it was, it was like the maximum dose of link pill, link pillage <laughs> that, that I could have gotten at that time. And so like ever since then, I've been like super, super obsessed. And, you know, it was kind of, it was in a way luck to find that, but then at the same time, it was kind of my decision to kind of just dive in and, uh, uh, dive into all the public information at the time, which was like almost non-existent, pretty much. I, um, I, I feel bad for the people that weren't on Biz in uh, early 2018, even through some of 2019, because it was kind of like a golden era. And now it's still good. There's still good alpha there, but it obviously has been flooded, uh, you know, with people just trying to pump their own coins. But there was a period there where it was just awesome. You know, it wasn't big, and a lot of posts had a lot of great information. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was necessarily the golden era because I didn't, I wasn't exposed to it before that, so I'm probably biased. But like from what I've seen, like there's always been like a lot of like top layer kind of garbage on there to hide the, like the lower gems, so to put. But I, I really don't browse it much anymore. It's like you said, it's mostly just people trying to pump whatever Dogecoin copy that they have. So I just I stick to Twitter. That that I, I feel like a lot of the mind power is kind of transition from biz to twitter not not entirely but a lot of it there's a there's less filtering you need to do essentially yeah for sure and i would agree with that but um getting down the business here a little bit you know my newsletter is crypto breakdown and i try to target like total beginners because i know you know me you and a lot of people i interact with it, it, all of this is second nature at this point but i often think there's times like we forget that the average person doesn't even know where to start. They don't know where to buy their Bitcoin. And so sometimes I have difficulty trying to explain to them why I like Chainlink so much, even though it's pretty basic stuff to us. Like, you know, they don't know yeah. what a blockchain is. They don't know what any of this is. So why don't we first just talk about a blockchain? Like, why would a company want to use blockchain? What is it? it? What can it do for society? Sure. Yeah. So kind of the main the main thing is that a blockchain basically gets rid of the middlemen effectively. That, that's like the primary value add where today, if you want to uh, engage in contractual agreements, you have to go through JP Morgan or Wells Fargo or some kind of centralized entity who has control over the agreement and they hide information. So there's like a huge information asymmetry from what your counterparty has, which is usually the bank and what you have, which kind of leads to economic unfairness. Hence why a lot of banks were profitable in 2008 while the average person well, you know, went, went under bankruptcy. So kind of what blockchains aim to provide is to disintermediate the middleman through a decentralized network of computers. And then these computers are basically entirely impartial to what you're doing on there. So kind of the initial implementation we saw was like Bitcoin. And so that was like a form of decentralized money where instead of going through a commercial bank or a central bank where they can just, you know, dilute your, dilute your savings by printing as much money as they want, on a blockchain because it's all decentralized and it's all pre-programmed essentially, there's no entity who can manipulate uh, the, the issuance of currency 
And so that that's like that's blockchain in the sense of a currency, and that was like the initial implementation. But it's essentially giving people control over their own assets and providing a significant degree of transparency because it's a it's effectively a public ledger, but a public ledger that we collectively all control, not not a bank, not a middleman, not any centralized entity. Yeah, and I hope that um, it comes down to a point where we start to see, you know, using banks as, as an example, we start to see a couple banks adopt uh, some type of public blockchain. And then it comes down to the point where, you know, big businesses that are going to these banks, they can say, listen, I want to use you, but your competitor over here is using blockchain, which is more transparent. You know, we have more actual visual confirmation of what's going on so we're going to go with them and then eventually everyone's forced to adopt it that's what i i hope to see happen at least in the next couple years is that it gets it comes to the point where if you're not using it then you are at a disadvantage yeah i I would entirely agree i think that banks and whatnot or at least like for fintechs they're good at like the user user facing interface and like having relations and customer management but really they can leverage um, the blockchain technology to kind of uh, more trust minimize their backend system. So if you're a user and you have the choice between bank A, which uses a blockchain, and you can audit everything they're doing, and you have a strong degree of assurances, and then you have a traditional bank B, where they're using, you know, just a centralized backend, you have no idea what they're doing with your funds, you have no transparency, no control, it kind of seems like the choice is obvious, really. And so I think inevitably, it's like a domino effect. The first one will fall, and then either everyone else will fall as well, or they will fall the other direction and just become bankrupt because there's no there's no possible way you can compete if you're if all your competitors are using a blockchain and you're not. Yeah, I agree. It's almost like um, you can either adopt it or you can become irrelevant. So at, at, at a high level, you know, blockchain um, makes things more transparent. You can see every transaction, you can see what they're doing, and um, we hope that in the end. Uh, a bank adopts this because so they can say to you know high value customers or whatever hey you know we have this ledger here that you can track so you know you can be confident that we're not over leveraged or not doing anything irresponsible and then for beginners once they understand blockchain and they have this uh you know high level understanding then the next thing to uh understand is probably smart contracts and i guess kind of ethereum so smart contracts is uh the next iteration of blockchain first you had bitcoin which is basically um just sending i guess you could call it credits from one person to another and then ethereum comes about and they build a programming language on top of a blockchain and then all of a sudden you have smart contracts and these smart contracts can automate a lot of society's contracts mortgages bond payments uh insurance etc um before we even get in that, why don't we just talk about smart contracts? So what you know, what would you say to a beginner if they ask you what is a smart contract? Yeah, I think I think the best way or the most simplest way is that they're just applications that run on a blockchain. So you can think of it as like programmatic logic, if X, then Y. And it's uh, it, it's deployed in a way where the contract is immutable. So once a smart contract application is deployed, it can no longer be changed if that's how the contract was uh, deployed, and so every time the contract executes, the application really, it's going to execute exactly as you expect it to because it's running on this blockchain network. And so once you have that really strong like determinism, you know, you're gonna get the outputs that you expect because you could see the code, you know how the code's gonna run, it's not a single, uh, you know, it, it, it basically, 
they're applications that derive the benefits that blockchains provide in the sense of control, transparency, and immutability. Uh, they're entirely permissionless and they're entirely censorship resistant. Like all those properties of the blockchain that people really like about Bitcoin, smart contracts basically extend that to not just like money, not just like Bitcoins, but extends it to financial applications that interact with money, essentially. So that, that's kind of what we've really seen with smart contracts and things like decentralized finance, where it's more of what can you do with money? If you want to lend, you want to borrow, collateralized hedge or uh, leverage up, you know, you could do that on centralized services, but smart contracts provide an alternative that basically eliminates any kind of counterparty risk because you know exactly how the contract's going to uh, execute effectively. And that's um, one of the interesting uh, aspects about blockchain is you can see the code, you can see how and what is going to make this code execute. You know, whether it be mortgages, bond payments, insurance, all of these things that we hope make their way to the blockchain soon. Um, but since it's decentralized, there's nobody in control. And if one of these contracts is executed, then it can't be reversed. And that is... Um, can potentially be an issue for some of these things. So that's why you want to make sure that the data that is executing these contracts is absolutely as close to perfect as you can get. Because like I said, if let's say it's a bond payment or something, if that executes based on data that is false, then all of a sudden you send out a bond payment that might have been more or less than you should have sent out. And obviously that's a problem. It's going to cost the company time and money to try to get these funds back. And that is kind of the problem that Chainlink is trying to solve, right? They're trying to make sure that the data that is causing these contracts to execute is as close to perfect as you can get. Is is that correct? Yeah, at a high, at a high level, essentially. Like w when you really break it down, like blockchains in of themselves are like isolated networks. That's it's like what makes them so secure. They can't connect to anything in the real world. They just care about transactions. But the limitation is that on their own, you can't actually connect to external resources, so you effectively need an additional piece of infrastructure, which is typically called an oracle. But if, like you said, if that oracle is delivering you manipulated data, or if that oracle goes down during a crucial moment, or essentially just is any way corrupted, then the contract's gonna execute based on bad data, and because it is irreversible, basically that puts user funds at risk. So kind of what Chainlink is aiming to solve is both this kind of data delivery issue of how can we connect blockchains to external data resources, but in a way that maintains like this decentralization and the security that blockchains provide to basically ensure end-to-end -end decentralization. So you want your data to be just as secure and just as reliable as the underlying blockchain itself. Otherwise, it kind of defeats the purpose of using a blockchain if it, if it can be corrupted at the Oracle layer effectively. And this is not an easy problem to solve, which I guess is... Um that's why it, it to me it's sometimes it's so confusing because you I, I have seen these criticisms of Chainlink like oh you don't need to do all that uh, you can just use an API or all of these things but it's like you know this is a huge problem this is it's not the the base layer of everything that's going on but it's like a critical function to make sure the data that is going in is absolutely correct so to me it's a little confusing you know some of the criticisms we see but um, in the end, I don't think we have seen uh, competition against Chainlink that is at least uh, as in-depth as, as they've been going. 
would you agree with that? Do you think that Chainlink will be the winning Oracle solution? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm biased, but I definitely think so. And it's not just because I like it, but because when you look at the market adoption, basically the entire DeFi ecosystem, Aave, Compound, DYDX, and a significant other applications are already using Chainlink data to execute their contracts. And when you already have like an industry standard solution that's been in development since like 2014, then you kind of accrue like a network effect and particularly like an economies of scale where every additional user is going to lower the cost for every existing and future user. So it's at a point where users can choose between an application that uses Chainlink, which, you know, has a lot amount of data showing that it's been reliable and it's been accurate for years. And then you have another application that's using like a homegrown, you know, built in the basement type Oracle with no historical history with, you know, small amount of nodes, nothing to actually guarantee anything, you know, everyone's going to default to a Chainlink application. So we've kind of already seen that today where a lot of people don't want to use a DeFi application if it's not using Chainlink as their Oracle solution. So I think as like a communication protocol, it really has like a natural network effect. And there will always be kind of other projects trying to become an Oracle and have their own solutions. But ultimately, because Chainlink is more like a framework where you can build any kind of Oracle you want on top of it, then there's no real reason to use any other solution when Chainlink is already so flexible. It's uh, I, I usually draw the comparison to like hypertext transfer protocol or HTTP, where every web browser, that's the de facto standard of how you connect to websites. Sure, there can be other standards out there, but they don't have the network effect. They don't have, you know, the definitive industry dominance that the, the, that the HTTP has. And it's you know, it's, it's going to be the same thing in Oracle's where Chainlink already has the de facto position, the first mover's advantage, plus the network effect, plus the technology, uh, plus, you know, the link token and plus the community. Like there's so many comp compounding effects where if you enter the Oracle space together today, you can't just be better than Chainlink. That's not good enough. You need to get the integrations. You need to get the mindshare and the users where realistically anything, any other uh, innovation that other Oracle's have can just be deployed upon Chainlink because they have such a large user base and network of oracles, then it's going to basically dominate the field. And But, you know, it's decentralized, so it's not like you're trusting Chainlink. You know, it's a network of independent nodes, effectively. So if you don't like a current Chainlink network, you can go deploy your own Chainlink network, and yet it's still based upon the proven framework, effectively. So that's, that's kind of why I see it as it's almost like a winner-take-all because of this network effect. Yeah, um, and now we're kind of getting in the territory. I was going to ask you this later, but... Uh, you kind of touched on it now, so let me just bring it up now. This is some FUD that about Chainlink that I do see on occasion, and uh, you know we might as well just talk about it now. Do you think that Chainlink is decentralized enough? Uh, and the second part of this question is that the Chainlink team controls a very large percent of the supply. What's the story with that, and are you okay with the way that things are developing? Yeah, so that's definitely a two-part question. So in terms of like decentralization, kind of a nuance is that blockchains can be really decentralized because each node is doing very simple things. They're like verifying signatures, hashing blocks, and checking internal state. Anybody can do this. You don't need any external dependencies, meaning it could be really decentralized. With an Oracle network, you need access to like premium paid uh, data source subscriptions. You need to have like a reputation and you need to, in the future, have collateral staked as well. So uh, realistically, it would be idealistic if there was thousands of nodes, but when you have all these considerations of needing to purchase API subscriptions, 
then there's going to be a inevitable kind of limit uh, to a certain degree compared to blockchains. And so when you look at the Chainlink network today, we see networks with like 31 Oracle nodes, and that's at a sufficient enough level for the value that the Chainlink network currently secures, you know, which is about $20 billion. I think it's a little more now. But once DeFi and the smart contract economy grows to trillions of dollars, then that's probably not going to be sufficient. But the kind of the key design of Chainlink is that it can scale its security. So in the future, there can be hundreds of Oracle nodes and thousands of Oracle nodes because there's no, uh, there's really no limitation when you have off-chain aggregation. You just need to have nodes who have these subscriptions and have this kind of proven history, which will come over time because as more revenue is available from paying users, then there's more of an incentive to run nodes effectively. So really over time for this first part of the question, we'll see Chainlink decentralized over time. So it'll scale up to secure the value that it's securing. And in terms of a token distribution, there's sometimes some confusion about it, but just kind of lay down some basic context. About 40% of the supply is circulating. The team owns about 20% of the supply, and then 30% is tied up in a node operator's incentive fund, which will be like a, like a subsidy to nodes effectively. So this is kind of key because you, want, you need to have development funds to actually grow the network and have you know, integration engineers and developers and academic researchers like Ari Jules and Ben Chan you need to develop this network, which doesn't come for free. And then you need to have subsidies to kind of bootstrap the supply side of a two-sided marketplace, where if everything was already distributed, then you wouldn't have any of these funds to basically bootstrap the team or bootstrap the network. You would be kind of dead in the water effectively. So we kind of see this with other blockchains in kind of a different model, but they have, you know, they have subsidies and often team allocations as well, because that's, you need that to kind of grow the network. And so kind of the same way over time, more of the supply is going to be distributed. And so as the value secured in the network decentralizes, so too will the token distribution as well, effectively. So I don't think it's that large of a concern because the team has a significant economic incentive to grow the network because they are so financially exposed to link into the success of the network itself. But it's an important kind of distribution. I think it's really effective because you need to grow both the team and the, uh, the, the network of nodes through these subsidies effectively. So I think there's just kind of confusion about why do these allocations exist? Yeah, and um, obviously all these people aren't gonna work for free. You know, Chainlink has a huge team now, which is an obvious advantage over when we first got in. As far as I know, it was just a couple, it was uh, Steve, Sergey. they brought on Rory, and you know, who else was in the background? But then also, you know, this, um, these token distributions, since they have some, they can do things like go out and buy Deco. And a long time ago, they bought Towncrier and all these things, which is just strengthening their position, which is going to even further fortify their, um, you know, their position. Combine all that with the network effect like we talked about, and it's going to be pretty hard to uh, displace Chainlink at this point. And then as far as if it's decentralized enough, I hope that in the future we can get to a point where anyone can kind of launch their own price feed and all of these things. And it's uh, maybe even a DAO. Who knows where it could go? But the point is, over time, we are seeing it decentralized more and more. The The price feeds, I believe we used to have a cap of like seven for a long time. It was somewhere in that area and now we're up to 30 on some of these so the price feeds themselves are becoming more decentralized and then hopefully we get to a point where people can start launching their own price fees and all of these things but that's 
down the line, it takes a lot of development. Um, it just kind of a key consideration is that Chainlink is like today, it's you can really think of it as like a permissionless framework. So there's pre-built uh, or decentralized Oracle networks like the price feeds and the proof reserve that use nodes with like who have been security reviewed and they have a proven history on-chain performance and they have a reputation and they uh but but realistically if you really wanted to anybody can go launch their own oracle node and anybody can go put together their own oracle network today if they really wanted to but having pre-built networks and having these bootstrap nodes with incentives and with these uh reputation on the line it's it's like the easiest solution to integrate and it's suitable for the value it secures but we kind of see things like uh declimate and whatnot where they can kind of bootstrap their own nodes and then use their own DAO governance to kind of choose what these nodes are doing and how they choose the nodes. So I, I, I kind of agree, like over time, each Chainlink network is gonna be governed by the users and like the paying users and those paying users who will, will determine which nodes do they want, what data sources, how much are the nodes paid, how often do they update this feed? You know, that's kind of like the long-term approach, but to get there, you need to bootstrap the network because you need to kind of overcome the chicken or egg problem effectively. Agreed entirely. Um, next question, and this is uh, we're going to stick with the FUD. So I was in a discussion today, a um, little bit heated, but somebody said that Link Marines only have breadcrumbs and hopium. Nothing from the past four years has actually panned out into real adoption, especially enterprise adoption, and that includes uh, gravel coin and that whole uh, thing, which has yet to pan out. Um, what's your response to this? Yeah, I think there's kind of two things. I think the first one is to say no real adoption just factually is untrue. I mean, Chainlink already powers the DeFi economy pretty much. That's the product market fit of Oracle's today is price feeds and smart contract developers are very agile and they move quickly. And so that's kind of what the Chainlink team creates products that users need for their, uh, for their protocols. And so when we look at price feeds, proof reserve, verifiable randomness and keepers plus any API, there's already a significant degree of adoption from the Web3 space, from these smart contract developers. And kind of the other aspect is more of like enterprise focused. A consideration is that enterprises are really slow and a lot of them don't even see the value of blockchains yet. So you need to convince them that blockchains are worth integrating. And once they think that blockchains are worth it, then they can start stepping into oracles to start powering their smart contract agreements on on blockchains effectively so you need to it's kind of on the degree of enterprises move very slowly so it's not to say that Chainlink hasn't been working with enterprises for years it's just that these projects take years to get into production and they take years of due diligence and research and development that enterprises realistically just don't move very fast so that's kind of really it's kind of more on them but it's you know in the future when the global economy is decides or there's kind of a collective social consensus that blockchains are the way forward then oracles are an inevitable uh need for these agreements and chainlink is already the industry standard so it's already in a position where once enterprises do agree that smart contracts and blockchains are the way to go chainlink is already going to be there and already have been working with them for years so it's kind of getting those relationships for when enterprises decide now is the time really I agree. And uh, my response was basically the same thing. I said, listen, uh, corporations move very slowly. These guys don't even, most 
corporations don't even have the uh, permission to put Bitcoin or Ethereum on their balance sheets. This is something that came about within the past six months or as far as I know with uh, Sailor and MicroStrategy. So it's very, very slow. And the as far as I know, we've actually haven't seen much enterprise adoption across any cryptocurrency. Maybe some of them have used Ethereum, but even that has been minuscule. So these things do move slow. Uh, I'm confident when, like you said, uh, the tides turn a little bit and the narrative shifts that, hey, these things are legitimate and they are going to save corporations a lot of money on their bottom line. I do think that um, Chainlink will naturally find its fit in that story somewhere as it has if if you look at the web 3 universe in and of itself obviously Chainlink has become a pivotal part of that and i believe when the rest of the world outside of uh, blockchain uh, shows up to the party obviously i think Chainlink is going to find their fit there as well yeah it's kind of about like just cultivating those relationships and you know you got to convince the enterprises and you know it's really up to them to decide when they want to take this step and kind of mentioned this previously but once one does then that's kind of when the dominoes fall so you want to have, you want to be positioned you want to be ready for when that happens when that growth goes exponential and if you're you know positioned ready as a project then there is an immense amount of value that you can generate for these enterprises that they just simply can't ignore that's actually a great point i mean as far as oracle solutions uh assuming uh enterprise adoption happens sooner rather than later if they were to come in this space right now Chainlink is obviously the most visible out of any competitors yeah and, um, and given it's blockchain agnostic it doesn't matter where the enterprise wants to go even if it's their own like permissioned isolated chain Chainlink can work there as well so it's like it's it's positioned well in many multiple degrees what does the future look like for Chainlink in your opinion and uh Will this space be a winner-take-all for Oracles, or is there going to be room for a few different players? I think what we'll see, and this was kind of highlighted in the Chainlink 2.0 paper, but I think blockchains inevitably will be like a settlement layer where you'll put your final transaction, your final state, while all of the computation and the connectivity, the privacy and the scalability is all going to happen in this off-chain Oracle layer, and it'll just be regularly settled back onto the main chain using kind of a layer two roll-up type design. So I think people, they have their mind that oracles, or I guess Chainlink as well, are just price feeds. Like that's kind of all they do. But even today, that's not the case. We see verifiable randomness. We see weather data, election results, and even transaction automation services like Keeper, Keepers. So I think in the future, Chainlink will become, it'll kind of grow its position in the Web3 stack where it will be doing a lot more off-chain computation than people are probably going to be expecting. And I think that's kind of something we'll end up seeing with Layer 2, where Chainlink nodes will be running Layer 2 validators. And so you'll be using, when you're interacting with a contract, the data you get is from Chainlink, the computations are from Chainlink, the transaction automations from Chainlink, the randomness is from Chainlink, and then just at the end of the day when it needs to settle every so often, it'll be settled to like Ethereum or something. So I think that's, given kind of the network effects of oracles and kind of given the economies of scale where it kind of becomes like a shelling point where everybody converges to the highest security and lowest cost solution, then Chainlink will inevitably like capture the vast majority of the oracle economy. Yeah, that's uh, 
that's extremely bullish if i may say um very much so to frame it in that way i wasn't going to ask this but you brought it up and uh i'm kind of confused about it myself can you give me a um what do they say explain like i'm five or something uh what is a keeper and what is a chain link keeper and are these things important Mm, yeah so there's kind of a misconception that smart contracts are autonomous they're actually not they only make state changes or they only do things when a, a transaction pings it to go do something. So you can kind of think of it as like by default, uh, smart contracts are asleep and you effectively need to wake them up. And so that waking up, basically, you need a transaction to do that. And so what a lot of devs do is like a centralized backend system. They'll have some server go make a transaction. This can be like liquidations. This could be a rebase token. This could be harvesting yield or executing a limit order. Like there's there's a wide design space, but basically what Chainlink Keepers is, is like a decentralized network for automating these smart contract functions effectively. And so you can use a Chainlink Keeper to automate any kind of transaction. If you're rebalancing funds or you need to top out an address or you want to rebalance your Uniswap V3 liquidity provisioning, you can use a Chainlink Keeper to basically automate it effectively. So it's that's like the best way to put it is like a transaction automation service because smart contracts by default are asleep and need to be woken up to do things. Okay. So if somebody out there is managing a Uniswap uh, liquidity provider position and they see that the price is moving, they could just um, kind of click a button and have this all automated in the background and say, hey, I want you to um, reposition my Uniswap liquidity right now. And that would happen? It's it's even better than that, actually. You don't have to click anything. You just, like, when you create a position, you say, okay, Chainlink Keepers, can you go automate for this? And then you can disappear for a month or whatever, and then every time the position needs to be rebalanced, it'll automatically monitor the contract and then automatically execute the rebalancing for you. So, you like, once you set up a Keeper task, you don't have to do anything. It's going to be entirely automated for you. So that that's, like, the key value proposition is that it's the highest reliability in the most kind of decentralized and transparent way to automate anything without you having to think about it as a user or a developer. It's fascinating. Um, It's an uh, arena of oracles that people just don't, like they think of oracles as like delivering data and they do that, but it's really just any kind of off-chain service. Yeah, the reason I asked is because uh, I actually saw somebody tweet about it saying that it is, it's kind of being slept on. Like people are um, not paying enough attention to how critical this uh chain link keeper thing is and so i'm a little bit confused about it myself so i figured hey uh who better to ask yeah it's uh it's a little more nuanced because it's not in the general mental model of what an oracle does but it's like there's already a lot of keepers but there's a lot of like subpar keepers out there like they're they're centralized or they're very permissioned or they're just they don't provide the reliability guarantees like just like you need your oracles your data feeds to be reliable you need your keepers to be reliable too, or users can lose funds, like liquidations that need to protect user positions and lenders. Very interesting. Uh, a question from the community. What future Chainlink tech are you most excited for? I would say by far it's probably Deco, which is effectively a privacy-preserving Oracle protocol that uses zero-knowledge proofs. So you can effectively like prove that data came from a specific server and that it was a specific value without actually revealing really where it came from or uh, what the value was. So like you can prove that you're actually over 18 without revealing how old you are. 
or you can reveal that your bank account has at least a hundred grand without actually revealing how much money you have. And so there's a lot of like design flexibility here. And I think Deco will be like a prerequisite for like enterprise adoption of blockchains. I think that's like one of the reasons we haven't seen it is because of privacy. You know, uh, these enterprises, they have trade secrets. So they have, they have a lot of data that they can't reveal, but they want to use in agreements. They can go use Deco to prove something about that data without actually revealing that data to anybody else. So I would say that's like an arena that hasn't been touched by anyone yet. And Deco, I think, will basically provide a data privacy solution for Oracle networks. And it'll be it'll have significant implications for how this space evolves. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was actually thinking the same thing. I know um, uh, staking is obviously something we're all excited for to... Uh, you know, actually take an active role in what's going on. But Deco in and of itself is probably going to play a big role in this enterprise adoption, which we all hope is going to happen sooner rather than later. If they can keep certain things private, I think they would be more open uh, to adopting this technology. Yeah, staking is definitely very important, and there's no doubt about that. It's just like when you think about, you know, staking makes the existing services more secure, which is good. But if you're thinking in terms of like, how do we enable new use cases? That's really where Deco comes into play. And you get completely different smart contract use cases that literally could not exist without privacy solutions, whether that's business reasons or regulations like GDPR or, or HIPAA, where you can't actually reveal the data legally, but it has an immense amount of value that you can use in the execution of uh, contracts and derive a lot of value for society. Interesting. How are we doing on time? Can I? Uh, do you have a few, a few minutes? I can hit with some uh, quick questions. Yeah, that works for me. Cool. So a couple random questions, um, just to, to kind of pick your brain a little bit. What's your stance on Bitcoin? Um, let's just start with that. What's your stance on Bitcoin? So initially, I didn't really get. Honestly, I didn't really get the point initially. I kind of went straight for Ethereum and smart contracts. But late, late last year, when like companies actually started putting on their balance sheet. It kind of clicked a little bit more that, you know, Bitcoin's not trying, you know, Bitcoin's not trying to be a smart contract platform. It's trying to be a form of inflation resistant money. Like that's really all it's trying to do is be sound money. And they're exclusively focused on that. And so I think that Bitcoin will always kind of have a role, just like gold has a role in our economy. I don't think it's the biggest thing that's going to come out of blockchains, but I think it's inevitably going to have some kind of role if they can solve the, the long term sustainability when the block subsidy goes to zero effectively so i think it has a role and i have an allocation but i don't think it's the most interesting thing that blockchains provide society really cool uh will ethereum flip bitcoin i think that's more than inevitable i don't know like the timeline but when you think of like what what creates more value gold or the traditional financial system it's kind of the same parallel what's going to create more value like digital gold or a decentralized financial ecosystem i think i mean it's it's the answer is kind of clear when you put it like that i think that's i don't know the timeline but i think it's inevitable that ethereum will will flip bitcoin and that that'll, that'll piss some people off but i think that's i think it really is inevitable uh i'm not sure how much um you know about solana but this is a question that's often on on my mind so i wanted to ask you do you think solana is decentralized enough and let me, before you answer, let me just read uh, real quick. Solana hardware recommendations for CPU. You need 12 cores slash 24 threads, 2.8 gigahertz or faster, uh, RAM 128 gigs, 
with a motherboard that has 256 gigs capacity, and this is considered uh, the minimum. So I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, so I'm not an expert on Solana. I know that they do some good things like parallelization of compute, but what the real the real thing with Solana, what they're doing is basically just like you said, increasing the hardware requirements. So uh, apparently they have like about a thousand nodes. I don't know how legitimate that is, or if it's just all run by Solana, but I think in the long run, it's never going to be as decentralized as Ethereum. Now, the question is, do you need it to be as decentralized as Ethereum and Bitcoin? And so that's kind of up to the users to decide. I think that's, you know, there's, there's no, you're never going to be 100% decentralized. It's like a infinite spectrum of centralization to decentralization. Solana is more decentralized than the traditional system, not as decentralized as Ethereum, but I think it'll probably have its niche for specific applications that don't care as much about decentralization, but just want the faster speed. So I think it has its niche and it probably doesn't need to be as decentralized, but probably not where I would store, store my funds long term. Interesting. I, uh, I actually think the same. It's, you know, for whatever reason, in the past few months, uh, Solana has absolutely kicked ass as far as uh, price appreciation. But in the end, they're kind of just increasing hardware requirements, which is not decreasing decentralization possibilities, but it's naturally going to decrease decentralization because nobody even can afford that stuff or has that capabilities. Um, Next question. What do you think about Cardano? I think that, well, you kind of have to separate the technology from the community. I think in and of itself, it's been, I mean, there's been a plenty of delays and there's been plenty of, uh, oh no, smart contracts are coming soon, I swear. I think that, I mean, I don't really think that highly of it, to be honest. I think it's a chain. It exists, but it's not going to overtake Ethereum. They don't have a network effect. They don't have an ecosystem of DeFi applications. They don't have the refined developer tooling i just by the time that cardano catches up to where ethereum is today it's just going to be light years behind and then you have you know the whole charles hopskin thing so i I don't i don't like hate cardano or anything but i don't exactly have the highest opinion of it really if if applications on cardano want to use Chainlink, then great Chainlink's neutral and will be used everywhere but it's not something that i would ever use and well i can't use it because there are no smart contracts and (laughs) maybe soon but you know We'll see. Yeah, we've been waiting on that for a little while. Um, is Elon Musk doing more harm than good? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I don't... He's raising... You could argue that he's raising awareness of crypto in general, but he's raising awareness for, like, Dogecoin. And then he has, like, borderline misinformation about how to scale blockchains and then plenty of FUD about the energy usage of Bitcoin. So I, I don't think that's he's necessarily fully aligned with what's being done or fully understands it. I think that there's an opportunity for him to learn more about it, which would be great. But I think if anything, it's either net neutral or it's net negative in the sense that it puts a bad taste in people's mouth about crypto. And the only thing they see is just Dogecoin, which, you know, it's Dogecoin. You know, that's not smart contracts. That's not even arguably crypto, really. So I don't, I think that he could... In his position, he could be doing a lot better of raising awareness about the economic benefits of smart contracts. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think uh, he could be using his position much better than he currently is. I mean, Dogecoin 
has launched all of these things, Shiva Inu and whatever. I don't even know what Shiva Inu is, to be honest. I've never looked at it. All I know is that it's up some absurd amount, which is great for the people that are making money, but how many people are buying into it late that are going to get burnt? And uh, ultimately, you know, it's not Elon Musk's fault, but he kind of put that on people's uh, timelines. So it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, he. I think he spends too much time trolling on crypto. I don't. It, it just makes crypto look like a scam, to be honest. It's not It's not a good look, really, which no, is unfortunate. Unfortunately not. But, uh, dude, this was awesome. I feel like that was a great conversation, and uh, I think it's going to benefit a lot of people. I really appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, I'm glad, happy to happy to speak about all things blockchain oracles and smart contracts. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Hell yeah, man. Uh, maybe in the future we can get back together, but uh, if not, it was great speaking with you, and uh, best of luck. Absolutely. Have a good one. You too.